Oh man, now I'm feeling pressure to be funny. Oh no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. It should just be organic. That's say it's, something it's funny. funny. Yeah, just be organic, man. Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation. My name is Ben Golke, and today we actually have a couple of special guests. If you'd like to introduce yourselves? Yes, I'm Caleb Stoltz. Um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I live in Kaiser, Oregon. And uh, I've been developing for iOS for about two years. And I am uh, Johnny B. Um, I am also an iOS developer and Android. I've been uh, developing for four years about, um, professionally teaching for the past two. Awesome. So today what we wanted to do on the podcast was talk to both Caleb and Johnny about their journeys as developers from junior to where they are now. Um, and then in addition, also kind of understand more about the teaching process and uh, what's involved in teaching other people how to code. And in this case, specifically teaching them how to do that online. So they run, I uh, have a couple of courses that do online iOS development uh, education. Um, and it is through video courses and kind of helping people with things like Slack, you know, instant messaging, stuff like that. So you don't have the advantage of having people in the room and that kind of creates additional challenges. So we wanted to talk to them and see how, how all that works. Uh, so to get started, um, either one of you can start, but basically what I wanted to do was first find out uh, how you got into programming and, and, and then kind of once you learned a little bit, what your experience was like um, as a junior, because I think a lot of times people who are more on the senior side t- typically do not talk that much about what it was like for them as juniors. And I think that's something that juniors really can benefit from is hearing our stories and hearing our trials and tribulations and understanding that their concerns are not unique, right? We had probably similar issues and uh, it, it's always helpful to, to hear that other people go through the same stuff that you do. All right. So I, uh, I did not study um, computer science uh, in college or anything. I am self-taught. Uh, I studied aerospace engineering in college and while I was at school, it was awesome. You know, we were we were building and flying drones, going to competitions, uh, using laser cutters and 3D printers and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, after I graduated, though, I worked in the industry for four years, uh, working with companies like Honeywell, Boeing, and uh, Parker Hannifin, big names in the aerospace industry. And I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but I did not enjoy the work. Um, found myself just dreading going to work every single day and was just just hated it. So after a couple of years, uh, I started trying to figure out a way to transition to a new career. Um, I tried a few different things um, like affiliate marketing, uh, drop shipping, you know, several of those, uh, you know, get rich quick type things that go around. Um, but then I started uh, learning programming again. Uh, I had done coding when I was younger and um, made some sites on uh, GeoCities and some other things, you know, way back when the internet was was a baby and web development, all that stuff was just coming out. Uh, but I hadn't done much as an adult except for a little bit in college using uh, things like MATLAB. Um, so I, I first started with web development courses, uh, found some uh, courses on Udemy. I really enjoyed uh, Brad Hussey's courses uh, for that. Um, then I started some iOS courses and pretty much immediately fell in love with that. Uh, this was right after they announced uh, Swift. So it was exciting to get in on the ground floor of the new language. Um, 
so I got my so I taught myself coding for a couple of years, taking courses, making uh, little apps here and there. Uh, did a little bit of work for uh, for a different startup, um, and then I got in touch with a learn to code startup and started working with them. And that's where I had been for the past uh, two years. Um, so yeah, uh, as a junior developer, I think one of the most poignant memories that I have was going through my first QA. All right, so when you're, when you're developing your product, uh, for those that haven't been through it, you, you, you know, you've been coding for a long time, you've put many, many hours and sweat and tears and blood into your code, and then it's time to have it be tested by your QA engineers, and it's their job to find problems and make sure things work correctly. Um, but every time they report a bug, it feels very personal. Like, and, and, and you kind of just want to be like, no, you're doing it wrong or like, shut up about my code. Um, you feel very defensive of your product. And right. it was designed that way. You're just doing it wrong. Yeah. And I think I talked, to, I haven't talked to too many people about that, but I think that's a common feeling for people going through their uh, first QA is, you know, you kind of, you, you get attached to your, to your code, to the work that you've done. And when it doesn't work correctly, you get, you get sad, you get, you feel like, you know, oh, I'm a failure. Um, the, the second and third and every QA after that, uh, each time it gets a lot easier and you, you realize, you know, this is, is nothing personal. This is just, how things have to go to get a good and working product that you can ship. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I that I thought of when, uh, um, you know, thinking about what it was like to be a junior developer and maybe something that others can relate to there. Yeah, I think that's something that we, we definitely have covered in previous episodes and that, that I think a lot of juniors don't understand is that code does not come out perfect, right? It, it almost never does. And, and in particular, if you have spent a lot of your time learning how to code using prepared educational materials, that, that those materials are going to be, to you at least, they're going to look perfect because they're going to, you're going to read it, you're going to watch it, whatever. You're going to then going to type in perhaps the same code into your editor, hit play, hit run, and it's going to work perfectly because that's what it's supposed to do. But the downside that the thing that you don't see is that you don't see all of those times that the developer that was, you know, the teacher that was building that curriculum, all the times that they were working on that and they failed, and they kind of iterated on it until they got to a point where it was the way it is in the video or in the book or whatever. Um, and I think uh, in particular, if you mostly only have experience, uh, you've only been exposed to things like that, tutorials, videos, stuff like that. You just don't get to see a lot of the messiness of coding. Um, and it can give you a false sense of, oh, well, they do it and it's perfect. And when I do it, it looks terrible and it doesn't. It always breaks and it doesn't run. I must be bad at this. And, and the the truth of that matter is, is you're not bad at it. You're the same as everyone else. It's just that you don't get to see all the sort of dirty laundry between uh, beginning and, and finished product. How about you, um, Caleb? How, how has your story either been similar or different? Yeah, so um, I, well, I guess I'll give a little bit of background. Um, I went to university to study education. Actually, first and foremost, I don't have a computer science background, uh, technically speaking. Um, so I studied education, went out, got my first job after university, taught for a year, and then actually ended up moving overseas. I lived uh, in Indonesia for two years, teaching at an international school. 
And after three years, um, basically every year from when I graduated to that point, I progressively hated my job more and more (laughs) and just realized it was not a great fit for myself. And so I actually decided like I need to find some type of hobby, something to, uh, you know, be a constructive outlet because my my work life was bleeding into my my home life in, in so many ways. And it was just a really stressful um, time of just dis- discomfort. And um, so I, I decided I wanted to learn uh, app development because I've always been a huge technophile, really into, you know, all things tech, all things um you know, in, in that field. And so I stumbled upon some courses, took a few courses, um, and, you know, bought, bought a few books, um, you know, watched some webinars and, and taught myself programming right around when Swift was coming out as well. Similar, similar to Johnny. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of just buckled down and committed my time to learning programming, but since I had such little free time, um, I wanted to learn programming so badly that I actually adopted a polyphasic sleep schedule where I would basically sleep for like four hour increments and then be awake for, you know, a certain amount of time. And I I would be learning from like two to four in the morning and then go to sleep and then wake up and go to work, come home and sleep a little bit, wake up. And I would just kind of, I was learning and and working around the clock and, um, dedication right there. Well, (laughs) some might call it craziness, but um, it worked for me and it was just for a short time to, to kind of learn the basics. And then once I had a grasp of that, um, you know, moved on to more complex things, which eventually led to, uh, to a job at the, the same learn to code startup Johnny worked at, um, teaching iOS and various other, uh, you know, technologies and yeah, um, trying to think of uh, an example that's that's different from Johnny's because I actually had the same the same thought about when I would first you know submit code to a project we were working on or build an app and then you know have it code reviewed for a, a course I was going to produce it always did feel so personal like when they would rip apart a certain function and you know back then maybe I didn't know better like I would have some nasty nested for loops or you know uh, explicitly unwrapping certain optionals where I shouldn't have been back when I, you know, didn't know any better, it would just like feel so personal, like, oh, that's my code. That's my baby. Um, but I work learning... so hard on this and you're just destroying it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, just appreciate the art, man. But, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but obviously I, I learned, I learned that it's a really important part of the process and that, yeah. you know, I eventually learned to disassociate my feelings from my work in in a way, you know, there's there's always still a bit of a, a bit of a sting if they, you know, I identify something or or there's a nasty crash I didn't find, but just learning over time to disassociate that emotional weight from from the code um, was was big. But I guess uh, in something that un- unique to me, not having a technical background um, and learning something that I I had basic familiarity of, but I really wanted to dive in deeper. Um, I just remember getting so frustrated when I would read the same paragraph in a book or watch the same video in a course like 10 or 15 times and still like not understand the concept. But the the coolest part of that process was I I would get to this total frustration point and then I would just decide, okay, you know what? I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to go walk around for, you know, 30 minutes, take my mind off of it. And every time that I would do that, there would just be some like internal click and I would just get it. 
Um, so I think, I think that was a, a really important thing as, as a junior and as a learning developer, which we all are, but as a, a new, a new developer that was learning so much so quickly, it was really important to learn, uh, you know, the value of taking breaks and giving your, your brain space to, <laughs> to recover and right. Yeah. So that's, so would you say that that would be something that you wish maybe a senior could have told you about, but it's to say, Hey, do this as a best practice rather than you kind of learning that on your own as yeah. a lesson. Do you think that would be? I mean, it would have been helpful and I think it would have sped up my learning process a lot. Like there were just a lot of times where I would just get into this, I don't even know, it's like this vortex where you're just so focused on understanding that you can't understand. And and in that, you know, you just get obsessive and like reading Stack Overflow post after Stack Overflow post and going through blog post after blog post. And and then, you know, when you actually just let your brain do its thing, it, it kind of unveils itself to you. So definitely- and in I particular- would, in that schedule that you were in, I'm sure that made it probably even worse, even more of a pressure cooker of like, okay, from two to four, this is when I'm when I'm learning, so I better learn right in these two hours, or you know, I'm going to be behind, right? Definitely but like behind what, right? I mean, that's the thing is you weren't it wasn't like you were necessarily taking a class that ended on a particular day or anything, um, right? I think a right. Lot of times you can end up in a scenario where you you put artificial constraints on yourself. And then you feel like, well, I have to make these constraints. It's otherwise like I'm going to be ruined. And it's a, Absolutely. Well, no. <laughs> it's a process and, and it takes time and you have to, you know, your brain, I think is, it's a muscle just like anything else in the sense that you have to let it rest. You, if you're going to pump iron as it were, right, you're going to lift weights with yeah. it. You have to also have time to, to let it rest and it will, it will keep working for you. Even after you stop actively thinking about those things, you'll be in the shower or you'll be taking the dog for a walk and you'll be like, oh, that's that's how I solved that problem. And you rush back to your computer and you're like, yes, it's perfect. Yeah, leaping out of bed in the middle of the night. That was a pretty common occurrence. Like I would fix yeah. a bug in my sleep or like have a dream about it and then wake up and like, I know what to do. And I would run and go <laughs> right. fix it. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's something that we told um, when I was teaching that we told our students to do is to, there is a difference between kind of trying to solve the problem yourself and not coming to the teacher too often because like mm -hmm. we can turn into Google, right? Where they're just mm -hmm. every single question they have, they just reflexively ask the teacher, oh, I'll just ask him and he'll, he'll tell me to this. That's not helpful because it doesn't help you solve your own problems. But at the same time, you don't want to be just sitting there banging your head against the table forever. And in fact, we called that eventually, if you, if you got kind of past the, the point of meaningful returns, we call that bulldogging. I don't know if that's... Mm an industry-wide term or i heard it at where i where i work so that's yeah. kind of i kind of adopted it but no, it's a good but term. bulldogging yeah. is sort of just trudging in whether it's you know whether whether it's a good idea or not and and just trying to sort of um do it by brute force and oftentimes with this kind of stuff you know thought um thought-based work it just doesn't really work that way you have to like i said you have to let your brain rest um, Johnny, for you, if is if there's something that you kind of really wished you could go back in time and either tell yourself or maybe have you know whisper into a colleague's ear that's a senior and say, hey, tell me this, right? Let me let me let me learn this this lesson the easy way rather than the hard way. So we've touched on it kind of a little bit already, but I and I think it's getting better in the industry. I see a lot of tweets about it and stuff, and that is that no one knows everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone googles and has to look things up, even the simple things. Uh, you know, I have to look up and see how to exit Vim every single time. <laughs> uh, you know, just just things like that. <laughs> well, we'll forgive you for that. Vim is is inscrutable, but. <laughs> So I would say, you know, don't stress out if you can't just sit down and code a whole app without opening up Stack Overflow. Nobody can do that. You know, um, there's just there's just too much to know. 
Uh, I just got a question uh, the other day on on our Udemy course. Um, a student was asking if they're they're if they're getting ready for a, a, an interview, if they should memorize the code. And I told them that that probably wasn't uh, a good idea, not the best use of your time, uh, because I mean, there's just too much. There's you know. You, it, it's impossible and so the better way to go about that would be to just be super familiar with the framework and I gave the example of you know if you're coding up a table view um, you don't need to be able to say funk uh, table view blah 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 you can say you know I would add a table view to the storyboard hook it up to by the outlet add the uh, protocols hook up the delegates add the required methods, yada, yada, yada. And that demonstrates that you still have a, you know, a a full understanding of what you need to do, um, but you don't have to, like, have memorized the syntax. And um, that was a little bit of a a tangent there. But, yeah, no one... Yeah, no one knows everything. Everyone Googles. Everyone looks things up. So don't feel bad when, uh, when you have to do the same yeah, whether you've just started coding in the last two days or you've been doing it for 20 years, right? You mm-hmm. have to, I mean, every single time I try and do a, a block in Bit2C, I have to look it up because I can't remember <laughs> yeah. the specific <laughs> syntax for that stupid yeah. mm-hmm. block syntax. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't like it. I don't like what they did there. It's, it's too confusing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's true. And I've been doing uh, iOS development since 2010. I mean, it's, it's been a, a while and I've written a lot of code, but there's still stuff that you just, it just for whatever reason, it doesn't stick in your brain. And that's what Google is for. I mean, the, the idea that you could, it's kind of why I sort of hate these like, here, sit down with a piece of paper or a whiteboard with no access to any resources and, and write yeah. up a bunch of code in an interview, because that is not what you're hiring me to do, right? If that's yeah. what you're hiring me to do, I'd be terrible at it. Right. You shouldn't yeah. hire me. <laughs> I just saw a tweet the other day with a comic. I don't know if you saw it. It was like, um, first day at the new job, you go and you have all your, all your markers and you're standing at the whiteboard and you're like, oh, from my interview, I just assumed this is where my desk would be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how does this get into produ- yeah. production? Right. Yeah, yeah. How do we convert this into something that the CI can read? <laughs> Machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Take a photo. So back to uh, kind of your experience, how how did you, it sounds like both of you were education minded. In one case, Caleb, you were literally learning how to be a teacher mm-hmm. in school um, and mm-hmm. then did and went and, and went, uh, you know, did teaching professionally. Um, and you guys both have been, uh, you know, education minded, whether that be, you know, from a learning perspective or in more recently in the teaching perspective, um, maybe you could just talk briefly about like what it was that attracted you to the idea of teaching code. For me, it is the fact that it enabled me to get out of a situation that I hated. Um, You know, it, it like learning to code and being able to change careers to something that I just love doing every single day. I want to be able to help other people uh, make that change also if they if they need if they want to I mean some people just want to pick it up as a hobby um, but there are a lot of but there are a lot of people that want to learn to code to improve their improve their life to you know um, get a better job or to change to a job that they don't hate and so that's 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 why I that's why I teach that's why I still teach and yeah that's why I that's why I keep making courses and helping people learn to code right how about you, Caleb? 
teaching in the classroom setting, you know, with kind of all of the politics of, of working in schools. And th- there were a lot of the job, a, a lot of pieces of the job I didn't like. But um, one thing that I did consistently like was those like aha light bulb moments I would see in my students mm-hmm. when like I would see them struggling with something for so long. Um, and then, you know, suddenly there's like a breakthrough and they would just click and get it. And then there would just be this like excitement and joy. And those those moments are, are the things that I did enjoy about teaching. And so when I started learning programming as a hobby and it all started clicking, um, I, I guess there's a bit of my background I should share as well that may be, you know, helpful for those who are, are learning from a non-technical background. I went through four years of electronics engineering training in high school and was pretty much set on going to school for electronics engineering. Um, but kind of got scared of that because I'm not great at math. And I assumed, you know, electronics engineers, they need to know so much math. And, and I just decided like, well, it must not be for me. So I went into teaching because um, my, my family background, my, my parents, my sister, like we're all teachers. And it was something I was already comfortable with. So I figured, well, like I know this, I might as well go into, into teaching. Um, but, you know, with, with that in mind, um, I wanted people to be able to have those aha moments in, in, in a technical field in a way that like they would feel the same empowerment that I did when I started making these connections and and things started clicking. Um, you know, and thankfully I I had great teachers at the time via, you know, the, you know, big nerd ranch books for Swift. Like there's just great content there and a few other courses I took and I, I wanted to be able to take my teaching abilities and be able to explain these technical topics that I now understand in a way that, you know, people could have those light bulb moments and feel like, yes, like I get this. This is something I can do, even though I, I don't have the technical computer science background. Maybe I'm not fantastic with math, but I, I can still become a developer. I can still make apps. Um, and I guess after the fact, like after I started teaching, seeing the impact that it had on people around the world was, was really cool. And I remember one student in particular that reached out to us, and, and I'm not sure if you remember this, Johnny, but um, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was from Venezuela, which they've been having so many economic issues and just like, you know, economic instability. And he wrote this big, long message thanking us for, for our content and how it helped him get an iOS developer job to where he could now like support his family in such like an economic, uh, just in such economic turmoil. And it was like, wow, like we're making real difference around the world with technology like it was just a really really cool really meaningful um you know heart behind our work so that's amazing yeah that's something that definitely i mean i didn't i didn't have quite that but uh in the the teaching that i did that was probably my favorite part of it because i was not i was not um trained to be a teacher i i was a developer first and then kind of became a teacher so um that was something that I, I guess I just didn't, not that I didn't expect it, but I just, I just didn't really know what to expect. So then when it started happening, these light bulb moments and helping students and them coming back and saying, thank you for helping me. And, you know, I was able to, I was a waiter and now I can be, you know, I can make a lot more money doing this other thing and I'm, I'm happier and I'm engaged in my job. And just all those stories are, it's just so cool to be able to, to, you know, help people change the trajectory of their professional career. Um, so uh, you are now at this point, you, you guys are um, uh, at least part time doing the your own online courses. Um, so I'd like to just delve into that a little bit to help um, 
people understand kind of what's involved with that in particular, since I would imagine a decent portion of our audience um, is one that are, are ones that are, you know, currently learning how to be developers. So they may be consuming a lot of this content, but they don't necessarily know how it is made. And I think it's all, for me, it's always fun to watch things like how it's made and stuff like that, <laughs> where you get to actually see the things that you use every day and kind of, and, and, and what is involved in making them. I once watched one where they made contact lenses and I was flabbergasted at how many <laughs> steps there are to make a contact lens. <laughs> so it's just something that you just totally take for granted and you don't realize that it's, it, it requires a lot of time and effort and energy to, to make. Um, so uh, maybe we could we could just talk a little bit about um, kind of your 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 current course is an iOS twelve focused course right learning um, about how to build um, iOS apps and and also how to kind of harness a lot of the the cool new things that we have available to us in iOS twelve um, so uh, how how difficult is it it's also for the, for the people who haven't seen it yet it's a video based course so it's a lot of videos and then you know exercises and stuff like that to go along with it how much work is it to actually build a course like how many lectures do you have to make and how long does it take to make a lecture and just if you could kind of give us a little bit of background around that stuff so there is a lot of work that goes into these courses um often students want to learn the latest technology being released in the uh, new ios versions uh so if that's the case if you're teaching a brand new topic first you have to go and learn it yourself and you have to learn it at a much deeper level than you might if you were just using it. Like, it's one thing to just, like, kind of follow along with the documentation, copy-paste some code, and, hey, it's working. Um, but, so if you're, but if you're teaching it, you need to understand it at a level that is deep enough that you are able to, uh, you know, teach it back and uh, make sure that your students understand so there's uh so depending on the complexity of the topic there could be many many hours of research and reading and testing uh, and then you have to make the apps um you know we, uh, i call them my alpha versions those are the ones that i reference when i'm teaching you know i'll, I'll have the the alpha version of the app up on one monitor and then i'm teaching and uh and and typing out the code when, when i'm recording um, so you have to make the app, uh, do some testing, you know, you're debugging, uh, you kind of touched on it earlier that that's, that this is a part that students don't see. All they see is that nice polished bug-free version at the end, most of the time bug-free. Um, <laughs> and, and they don't see the, the struggle, the, the banging the head against the wall, <laughs> right. um, trying to get your app to work. And so... Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of just prep right there. Uh, then you have to do the recording, um, which you know is something that you get better and better at. But I remember the first time that I did uh, recordings, every single time I would just get sick to my stomach. I would like my hands would sweat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would be so <laughs> nervous. Now I can. Now it's no big deal. I just sit down and I can record and record. But yeah, it's definitely something that that is uh, difficult at first. Um, Then you have to edit. Edit is another very time-consuming part, um, especially if there are animations involved um, or it's more of a uh, conceptual lesson. Um, So for every one hour of final course content, I don't think it's a stretch to say there may be five to ten or even more hours behind 
each hour. So if you have a 20 hour course, I think ours is sitting at like 20, 21 and a half hours right now. That's, you know, maybe 200 to 200 plus hours of work that's that's gone into it. Yeah, that's that's probably a pretty shocking number. I would imagine to most people they they would think, well, it took me an hour to watch, so it should take them an hour to make. This is, no, that's not if even only. remotely true. <laughs> no, if only. <laughs> because you because like you said, you only get to see the perfect polished part. I mean, you might you might do a video where you it does it takes you four or five takes to get it right. Uh, and maybe you don't even realize that you fumbled the take until you're 40 minutes into the video. And so maybe you can back up a little and record just the last bit. Or maybe you can't and you have to just start over completely. Um, and that's stuff that you just, you know, the average consumer of that content is just never going to see or understand. Yeah, like Caleb said earlier, sometimes you finish an hour long recording and then you realize you didn't have your camera <laughs> right. on. Or you never clicked record. Yeah, or your or ScreenFlow switched to your internal mic and the audio is crappy and you just like, ah, you just have to start over. <laughs> so, uh, Caleb, what parts of, like, what, what would you say for the course were maybe the most difficult? Uh, maybe even something that doesn't look, looks very polished in the end, but, but maybe something that you found particularly difficult to, to produce? Yeah, um... So two two things. One, kind of kind of like what Johnny was saying, the the new technologies everybody wants to know. Uh, in my experience, the things you know that I've wanted to teach, you know, uh, Core ML two, ARKit two, which John Johnny's covered AR, ARKit really well. But um, the newer technologies, as far as documentation goes, it's not always <laughs> super great, especially with the really right. new stuff. And so having to learn that at a deep level when there's not even really great documentation on it is a totally different issue. But that's why all the juniors want you to teach it to them because they've read the documentation. They don't understand it at all. <laughs> right. They're, yeah, they're looking for some, yeah, cl clarity or, or something through that. But I'm, I'm just as unclear on the documentation. So, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge. That's one of the harder parts is, is people really want this, but then how do we give it to them? Um, in like, you know, a way that takes into consideration best practices when those may not even be written or recorded yet. Um, and then another thing that is surprisingly difficult to teach is like the most simple stuff. You know, when you're, mm -hmm. when you're teaching foundational <laughs> right. Swift, you're teaching foundational uh -huh. software development lifecycle stuff, like that stuff, you really, really have to know it very well. Um, and even then, like explaining a concept that is so simple is sometimes the most difficult. And yeah. so I, I taught some of the beginning Swift and like foundational Swift videos. And, and I, I just found it like oddly difficult to go backwards in a way, like things that <laughs> yeah. I now understand right. and then having to dive into them in, in a very foundational way. Well, yeah. So Brian and I in a previous episode talked about how um, you kind of, because any given a human can't really kind of keep in their active brain a whole bunch of things at once, we mm. tend to um, to take things that might be simple and sort of combine them, hay bale them a little bit into a larger piece. And then that way it only takes up one spot in your brain rather than six spots, right? You can, ah, I just combine all this together, right? Like I use the analogy of learning how to drive a stick car, right? Initially it was shifting and braking and turning and turn signals and how do I navigate the road signs? And I'm, I'm trying to learn how to drive a car and how to operate this mechanical thing and it's very complicated and it to me they're all discrete separate totally just totally separate steps right but then once you get used to it you realize oh i just get in my car and drive to the store right it's not it's right. not 
it's not 60 steps, it's one step. I'm just driving to the store. And yeah. so I think the same thing happens when you're learning how to code. You eventually get to the point where, okay, variables, scoping, con- you know, conditional logic, looping, those things kind of all get sort of more or less congealed into the basics of programming, right? Um, and then you might learn those techniques in, like, say, let's say, Swift. Um, and then once you have that, it's more like, okay, well, I can focus less on that and focus more on things like how do I make a table view and how do I get this thing to show up the keyboard and stuff that's kind of maybe higher level. And it can be difficult to um, to remember that at one time, variables were difficult for you, right? You didn't understand mm-hmm. what they were and how they, right. how they worked. Um, and yeah, I think it's it can be very easy the further along you get to forget, um, you know, how difficult that stuff was. Uh, and like you said, when you, you revisit it and you try and think, okay, let me put my brain in the perspective of someone who is watching this for the very first time. How would I, how would I want it to be explained to me? And it's difficult to even sort of conceive of that. Okay. So um, you've got the, you've got the course and you've, you've got some, some students and it's great that the success that you're having with that. Um, and so now that you have kind of this group of people that are, uh, you know, that have bought your course, they've consumed some or all of it, um, and they're, they're, they're coming to you with questions and stuff. Um, what would you say maybe is the, what have you discovered, I guess, maybe either through your own personal experience of doing it or from now teaching other people how to do it? What would you say is maybe the hardest part about just learning to code, not necessarily Swift or iOS, but just the process of getting your brain into that programming mode? Um, and if you have any advice on how to overcome that, because I'm sure our listeners would want to hear that. For me personally, learning to code, it, I mean, it, it was difficult, like conceptually, mentally, like for me to learn this brand new skill. Um, but honestly, I would say it was infinitesimally, well, it was infinitely, that's the right word. It was infinitely harder <laughs> for me to learn because of myself. And I was really hard on myself. I was really just like I had all these automatic negative thoughts of, you know, kind of fears of the past of like, I'm not smart enough for this. Um, I'm not a math brain. I'm not a science brain. You know, you're, it, it's so funny how learning something like this can be so, uh, it, it makes you really vulnerable. Yeah. And with that vulnerability, it, it I found myself with this, you know, people refer to it as imposter syndrome, which mm-hmm. is a very <laughs> real thing and very destructive if left, um, you know, not dealt with. And so in order to overcome that, um, honestly, like this sounds very kind of weird, but I actually just kind of started speaking positively to myself in my head, like forcefully speaking positive things about what I was doing. And like, almost like, (laughs) it sounds strange, but almost kind of talking to myself of like through talking through what I was learning and like, yeah, like you got this, you're, you're learning this. And it was also really important, the concept of competing against myself versus competing against other developers, maybe who had been programming for 10, 15 years, or like you read a blog post and these people explaining things in a way that like is almost like, duh, you should know this. And I would read that and <laughs> yeah. be like, wow, I have no idea what you just said. Um, and, and that would lead me to feel almost like, well, I'm never going to be where they are or like they've been doing this for 15 years more than I am. Uh, more than I have. And so just learning to compete against myself and think, well, yesterday I didn't get this, but now I I sort of get it. And then the next day, like now I mostly get this and, and just continually coming to each day fresh 
keeping yesterday in, in perspective with, you know, where I was today. And that was, that was really big for me. Yeah. We had students that, that would often be like, well, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in the class, right? Like I'll give them a homework or something and they'll just be like, I've never, this, I'm not going to figure this out. This is just too difficult. I, this is, you know, and, and I would, I would always try, and they would also perhaps compare themselves to another classmate or something. Um, and I would always try and do exactly what you just said, right? Basically try and make them turn around and look at themselves from a couple, remember this is week six, remember in week two when you didn't know what a variable was or whatever, like there was some really foundational concept that now is pretty much second nature to you, but at the time seemed sort of insurmountably difficult to comprehend. Um, and, and look at that delta, right? Like the delta between week two and week six, look how, look how far you've come, look how much you've accomplished. It's essentially doing exactly what you just described. You said that because I was a teacher and I had a student, I was able to verbalize that to them. And hopefully <laughs> it would be something that they would be able to, you know, receive and understand and, and, and take to heart. Um, but I think that's excellent advice to do. That's, that's comparably easier to do if you have someone that can do that for you but that's that's exceptionally good advice if you're learning on your own because you don't really necessarily have anyone like that and even in in your guys's case where you know you do have students it's it's remote you're mostly working over you know instant messaging slack that kind of thing you don't have that necessarily that kind of personal connection with that person um and so in some ways that that learner is is kind of learning on their own and so that's i think excellent advice for you know even if if even if you don't have a teacher to do that for you, be your own teacher, right? Do that for yourself. Get, cut yourself a break and 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 um, give yourself those positive affirmations and and make sure that you're constantly kind of taking a look over your shoulder to remember. Oh yeah, three days ago I didn't even know what a variable was, and now I'm writing little mini iOS apps, right? I mean, you, it's it's very easy to get stuck on the thing that you're working on and think that this is the end of the world, and you just don't remember what happened even yesterday. Yeah, right. Yeah, learning learning to give yourself grace and just giving yourself a, a, a break is is yeah. very difficult, but but very worthwhile. How about you, Johnny? Um, I actually had pretty much a, a similar <laughs> train of thought. <laughs> um, I think the hardest part is is getting through that frustration. Yeah. Um, when you are first starting out, things can uh, seem overwhelming. Um, if you're doing iOS development, I like to say that there are three main parts. Uh, it's not enough... You have Swift, and that's the whole language, but it's not enough to just know Swift. You could know everything about Swift and not be able to make an iOS app. You also need to know Xcode, which is a huge application. And then you need to know about the iOS frameworks and APIs. And so all of this together just seems like an insurmountable amount of information. Uh, So I tell our students to just take it day by day, you know, Uh, First off, make sure you are coding and learning every day. Uh, There's a great book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Um, Like a lot of self-improvement books, it can be pretty much summed up in a couple key points, but basically persistent daily action compounds into tremendous gains. So if you're coding and learning every day, you will see results. And so uh, like you guys were saying, I tell our students to reflect back on where they are now versus where they were a week or a month ago and think about how much they have learned and are able to do now like did you just help someone debug something that's amazing you couldn't have done that a month ago in fact a month ago you were asking those kinds of questions i remember when i was learning and uh, i was in a few chat groups you know and after a while you know you start out asking the questions but then after a while, I was able to start answering questions. And I remember one time when I, you know, I, I, I actually got on a, 
a call with someone and was helping them uh, a junior actually a junior developer working at his job and I was able to help them figure out their their problem and afterwards I, I got off and I like ran into my wife and I was like I'm amazing you know you just <laughs> <laughs> I mean and it's not like a it's not like a bragging thing it's just it just feels so good to um, you know realize that you're making progress and 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 that, and if you're feeling and if you're not like feeling that then you need to consciously make yourself uh, reflect and look back and be like okay I know all of this stuff now that I, I didn't know before and um, yeah so in summary I would say it's important to know that yeah there is a lot of information out there but taking it just a step by step asking for help when you need it uh, reflecting on how much you are actually learning and progressing and realizing that no one knows everything and everyone started where you are starting now. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice, I think, to just make sure that you are, that that along with your your the zeal that you have for learning, like Caleb, you know, you're getting up at two in the morning and learning how to code um, <laughs> and, and sleeping, you know, in, in shifts, that's all great, but you have to, you have to, you know, take breaks and you also have to make sure that you realize that that process, that it's not going to be instant, right? You're not going to be able to get to mastery in one course or one session or, or one class. Um, it takes a while. We, you know, the, in the previous episodes, we've talked about things like getting, you know, getting to mastery. Oftentimes people say there's this 10,000 hour rule that in order to become a, an expert in anything, you have to spend at least 10,000 hours on it. Um, and I think really the the answer for coding is not 10,000 hours it's your whole life you have to spend your entire life learning how to be a better developer because you learn one thing and you get really good at it and then the next week that thing gets replaced with something else and you have to if you want to keep up you have to you know shift and learn that new thing um so other than your your own courses um we are going to put in just for for everybody listening we're going to put in show notes with links to everything we've talked about today including johnny and caleb's courses but other than your own courses um where do you all go when you're looking for help um and or where do you send students to when they need help on something that maybe you don't just you don't have a resource of your own to provide um what are you what are your go-to places on the internet or otherwise for uh, learning how to code so uh, there are so many resources out there for learning iOS development. There's tons of great Udemy courses, blogs, YouTube channels uh, for beginners. Um, besides ours, of course, I would also of recommend course. Angela's course on Udemy. She does a great job of explaining the basics in a way that beginners can really grasp. Uh, Ray Wenderlich, of course, has tons of tutorials. Uh, for YouTube, I recommend Brian from Let's Code That App, uh, especially if you want to learn to do UI programmatically. Uh, Sean Allen also has some great stuff, and uh, Jared Davidson as well. So those are the ones that I would recommend um, to, uh, to people getting started out. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's that's a pretty concise list of of most of the things I would I would suggest... I mean, it's not necessarily like great for beginners, so it's a little off off track of your question. But other Swift blogs, like uh, like N Natasha the Robot, I don't know if she actively contributes anymore to her blog, but uh, you know her her blog is great. NS Hipster is great, um, and 
uh, there's another one that, that that escapes me at the moment. But yeah, th- there are a lot of really reputable, you know, Swift blogs of just awesome developers that share their thoughts, little tidbits they learn as they as they're going through the weeds. And those those were helpful to me when I had to learn more complex stuff. But for for the basics, I, I think Johnny's hit it hit the nail on the head with some of those Udemy courses, including ours. Shameless plug. The I mentioned it earlier, but the Big Nerd Ranch guide for Swift programming was instrumental in my learning. Um, I remember that, that book is what helped me understand functions. I didn't get them through video content, and I read through the functions chapter like five times, and I coded along every time. And on the fifth time, the, it, like there was almost like a physical feeling in my brain of like <laughs> suddenly thoughts could come through this wall, uh-huh. and it was like oh like you pass something into the parentheses right. and you can like use that in right. the in the function. Like yeah. what? And then I was like, wait a minute. After that, you can like return something. And when you call that function, that's like, you're like using a variable, like the value gets returned to the function. And I was like, like my mind exploded. So that, that book, um, a lot of the big nerd ranch content is super good um, and was really helpful for me. So that's, that's what I'd recommend to beginners. Awesome. I would only add um, Make It Stick, which is a book that is not really about programming, but it's just about learning how to learn and how to how to get stuff in your brain and then and then make it stick, make it stay in your brain so that later on you can forget about it for a while, come back, and, it, and you can recall that information and, and bring it back up, which is, like we've been saying this whole time, is very important. Not necessarily that you have to remember any one given thing because you can, of course, look things up, but having you know a lot of these concepts in your brain kind of at the ready are certainly helpful uh, so that you can you can make meaningful headway when you're actually trying to build something. Uh, you reminded me of another blog, Swift by Sundell, uh, John Sundell. He has a, go- a great blog. Um, I was just going to say, I think that's a really good point, what you were saying about learning how to learn. Yeah. Um, as a teacher with like experience in the classroom with lots of different kids, with lots of different stories and experiences, just like everybody in the world, um, everybody kind of has a different learning style. Or, or a combination of learning styles. Some people really resonate well with in-person training where they can sit side by side with someone and be, be you know taught through what they need to know. Some people really resonate with video. Some may resonate with, with audio or written, uh, written works. And so I think for beginners, it's super, super meaningful to understand how you learn best and then really like play to those strengths. Right. And if there's something that you don't that you that you don't resonate with, then don't don't do that, right? Like first for me, right. I don't find audio based learning to be very good. Like in particular, if I'm listening to a podcast that's about code and they actually start talking about the code itself, I'm just like I I this is not helpful. I can't because I can't for some reason I just can't visualize it. Um, but yeah. I'm I'm I know that I'm a visual learner, so I find I basically either in person where I'm watching someone do something or you know video based something or other um, or even even written. Um, because I can see it with my eyes, somehow that just makes it just just you know go into my brain more easily, and I can I can keep it in there, and I can I can consider that as a concept, um, whereas audio stuff just doesn't work. So if there's something that that works for you, like Caleb just said, use that. And if there's something that doesn't work for you, don't don't just use it because everyone it was like oh this thing is great, you should use it. Okay, that's because that's great for them, but it may or may not be great for you. So feel free to kind of dump things that you you know don't think are working and and like like i said focus on those things that you think are useful awesome well thanks everyone for listening today hopefully this was informative and useful like i said we will have show notes um that have links to everything um you can also go to mvc.fm which is our new website um that has uh 
posts for every single episode and includes a way to listen online and also um, download the podcast into your app of choice if you'd like to listen to it regularly. Um, And of course, also the the links to the show notes will be there as well. Um, So Caleb and Johnny, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, And if you'd like, go ahead and tell us where we can find either you on the internet or maybe um, and or your stuff. Okay, our uh, website is ios12masterclass.com. And then uh, you can find us on Udemy, um, uh, just searching iOS 12 there, or we'll also have a link in the show notes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan underscore iOS. Um, and yeah, if you just look for me on LinkedIn as well, go ahead and connect. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. And same with me. My Twitter handle is Guru Caleb and uh, find me on LinkedIn as well under Caleb Stoltz. All right, thanks a lot, guys. And like, like we all said, all those things will be in the show notes, so if don't feel like you have to scribble them down now. You can look at them up later. All right, thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben.